Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. We hope that this message will challenge you and encourage you on your journey of faith. If you would like to learn more about Journey Church, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and online at thejourneychurch.cc. Now enjoy the message. Listen, it's been eight weeks since I preached the message, y'all. Y'all know what that means? Y'all are here forever. All right. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. It's not true. Man, I do want to take just a moment before we get going. I do want to pray one more time. Uh, we have quite a few families who are out sick today. And so this, this time of the year, on top of COVID and all the other stuff that's happening, uh, we're going to pray for those who are not feeling well uh, this morning who are at home. And anybody in the room, if you're not feeling well, we'll pray for you as well. Would you do me a favor, guys? Let's just pray real quick. Father, we thank you, God, that time and distance is irrelevant to you, Father. God, it doesn't matter if we're in service right now or if we're watching online. Right now, God, you are present with us. And so, Father, I pray for every person right now dealing with any kind of sinus issues or sickness or COVID or whatever else they're they're dealing with. Father, I just pray in the name of Jesus for your healing power just to manifest in them, Lord, for healing to manifest in them right now. Lord, from the top of their heads to the soles of their feet, let their body come in line and, and function the way that you have created it to function in perfect health and wholeness. So, Father, we thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen, amen, amen. We are kicking off. There we go. We are kicking off a brand new series this week uh, called Emotions. I can't think of a better series. I can't think of a better series to kick off the week that school started back. Amen. Some of us, we celebrated. School starts back. Kids go back to school. We celebrated. Others of us, man, we are missing our kids during the days. Y'all, listen, I know there's a major adjustment happening with kids going back to school. You guys haven't really been in school for like a year and a half. It's been crazy, right? And my kids have come home this week, and they have been all sorts of full of some emotions. And some of their emotions have been this. Dad, we're in school. One of my kids said, Dad, we're in school 24 hours. I'm like, baby, I don't think you're in school 24 hours. She said, but how long? I said, you're in school for about six and a half, seven hours. For real, seven hours, Dad, every day. How many of you guys remember feeling like that? Like school took forever, right? And then you get older and you have kids, and you're like, it's not that long, really. It's not. Kicking off a brand new series called Emotions, and uh, when the kids are going back to school. Fall is approaching. The holidays are right around the corner, and we have not only that, we've not to mention that, but we also endured a, 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 a hell of a year and a half. Would you guys agree? Yes, we have. Let me start by saying this. When we talk about emotions in church, listen, guys, like we said, some people are home. I need y'all to be a little bit loud. The more you talk back to me, the quicker I preach, the quicker we can get out of here. Amen. <laughs> I'm kidding, mostly. Let me just tell you some things about emotions that we need to clear up. Let me just start off by saying this. Listen to me. Emotions are not bad. Come on. Emotions are not bad. God has created, God is an emotional being. Did you know that? God is not some emotionless being. God's all, all full of all sorts of emotions. And you're created in the image and likeness of an emotional and relational God. And so therefore you are an emotional and a relational being. Emotions are not bad. They are not evil. They are God-given. Amen. Having emotions doesn't get us in trouble. Hear me. Having emotions doesn't get us in trouble. It's when we allow our emotions to have us that we get in trouble. Hello? It's when we give over ourselves to our emotions 
that we get in trouble. After all, uh, the Apostle Paul said this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 26. They don't have this in the tech booth. Don't worry. Um, I added it later. All right. It says this, Ephesians 4, 26. It says, be angry, but do not, what church? Do you know what it says? Be angry, but do not what? Sin. Did you see that? So you can have an emotion without a response that leads to sin. Paul said, be angry, but in your anger, don't cut them off. Don't run them off the road. Don't give them the bird, y'all. Y'all tracking with me? Don't allow your emotions to have you. The church has done a great job, actually a poor job, of teaching us how to deal with our emotions. Rather, the underlying thought has been mostly that emotions are directly connected to sin, and therefore we can't be trusted. They can't be trusted. This is a dualistic teaching. This this has its root in dualism. See, dualism says this. Dualism says physical stuff is bad. Spiritual stuff is good. Human beings, by nature, are bad because we're physical, but God, by nature, because he's spirit, is good. That's what dualism says. There's all this opposites. There's good, there's evil. There's all these things, right? And so because we experience emotions sometimes, and sometimes those emotions lead us to do things we're not very proud of, the church has done a job of of teaching us that, that it's bad, that it's sin. We've done a horrible job, actually, of separating the two creating a spiritual life and a physical life, right? How many times have you caught yourself saying something like, oh, man, I just cussed in church? Anybody say that? Thank you for being honest. All y'all aligned. Every one of y'all right now, y'all aligned. You ever have found yourself saying, oh, I can't do this in church, right? If I walked in, you've heard somebody say, if I walk into church, lightning's going to strike me down. How many of you have heard that? It's because we've done the church a job of separating spirituality and in, in, in our humanity, Listen, we have this bad idea that our humanity, our physical self, is bad. It's not. You see, actually, Jesus did the exact opposite of what the church has been pushing for a very long time. Instead of separating the spiritual and the physical, God made flesh. God took on flesh. The Word of God became flesh, and he made his dwelling what? Among us. That's the exact opposite of how we see things now. See, God didn't think that humanity was so dirty that he couldn't be around it. God was so and loved and so adored humanity that he couldn't imagine spending eternity without them. Did you know that? Jesus Christ became flesh, put on the flesh of man, and now forever there is humanity woven into divinity and divinity woven into humanity. Did you know that? Forever now there's a physical being in flesh in the Godhead. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Come on, this is good, y'all. This is good. And so this dualistic teaching has crept its way in, and we begin to think and see that emotions are bad, that if I express my emotions, then maybe I'm not as spiritual as the next person. So over the next four uh, to five weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at the emotions of Jesus. I can't think of a better place to start than looking at the emotions of Jesus and then seeing how we can express those emotions in our own lives. We're going to see how Jesus feels about us, and in seeing how Jesus feels about us, it's going to shape how we begin to feel about others. You see, Jesus was and is an emotional being. 
you spend some time studying the Gospels, all four of them, you'll realize that there are 39 different emotions that Jesus showed. Never knew there were 39 different emotions. Did you? Never knew that. Never knew that until I had a little girl. Y'all, I never, having boys, you raise boys, have emotions. They're emotional beings, sometimes angry and sometimes whatever. They're emotional beings. Amen, they are, right? But girls, this is a whole new thing for me. I can ask my daughter to do something. Hey, Judge, I need you to go do this. Or, or Judge, I've told you before, you need to pick your shoes and put them on the steps. And I can watch her go through all 39 of the emotions that Jesus went to in just a brief second. And it leaves me thinking. I don't like to dive into stereotypes. I'm just telling you what I've seen. I, I just, I look and I look. And, I'm, and, and it's scary sometimes. And I've looked at my wife at the moments that she's exploding. And I'm like, and she's like, just wait. Just wait. Y'all, I don't want to just wait. 39 different emotions. You see, Jesus grieved as he looked over Jerusalem, and the people rejected him. He grieved, y'all. Did y'all know that? Jesus grieved. Jesus became angry when the religious leaders uh, began to care more about rules than they did about people. Some of us, we can't imagine Jesus being angry, but there were times where Jesus was savage, out of love. So that can't exist. Yeah, it does. I promise. Jesus became overjoyed when 72 of his followers that he had sent out to lay hands on the sick and cast out demons, they came back and they described the the excitement and the joy of watching people who were once sick become whole, watching people who were once demonic, uh, demonically oppressed being set free. Jesus also wept, the shortest verse in the Bible. Jesus wept when he heard his friend Lazarus had died and in the garden, the night before he was crucified, Jesus was not only present, but he was discouraged, he was lonely, and he was dealing with spiritual agony. And Jesus also showed compassion. He showed compassion, right? And that's where we're going to start at today. We're going to ask the question, Where is Jesus when I hurt? Where is Jesus at when I hurt? Have you ever asked that question before? I have. I have. Where is Jesus at when when you hurt? You know, yesterday we we got a phone call at about 530 in the morning that my wife, uh, from uh, from my wife's brother, that her grandmother had passed away around 5 o'clock that morning. So we spent the first couple hours of yesterday's, uh, yesterday morning in the hospital with an entire family who was grieving the loss of their grandparent, or their grandmother, their mom, grieving the loss of that. And do you think that God was distant or disconnected or off some far, uh, in a far, far away place? No, Jesus was present, present with them, present with us, showing compassion. We're going to go over to Luke chapter 6, verses 11 through 16. Luke chapter, I'm sorry, 7, <laughs> my bad. Luke chapter 7, verses 11 through 16. And this is what it says. It said, soon afterwards, Jesus went with his disciples to the village of Nain. A large crowd followed him, and a funeral procession was coming out as he was approaching the village gate. The young man who had died was a widow's only son. Y'all say only son. 
only son. And it says, and the large crowd from the village was with her. And when the Lord saw her, his heart overflowed with compassion. Y'all say compassion. That just lets me know that y'all are still awake. Amen. All right. That, that overflowed with compassion. And listen to what he said. Don't cry. Don't cry. Verse 14 says, and then he walked over to the coffin and he touched it. And the bearers stopped. Young man, he said, I tell you, get up. Verse 15 says, and then the dead boy sat up and he began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mother. And verse 16, we're going to unpack all this. is so good, y'all. Verse 16 says, great fear swept the crowd, and they praised God, saying, a mighty prophet has risen among us, and God has visited his people today. God has visited his people today. This, this passage of Scripture takes place right after Jesus had, had spent time uh, preaching this great Sermon on the Mount. Y'all know the Sermon on the Mount where he gets up there and he said, Blessed are those who are weak and blessed are those who are poor and blessed are those who, who mourn. Do you remember that? And he gets to that point, blessed are those who mourn. And then shortly after that, he encounters this funeral procession with a group of people who are mourning. How many of you know in that mourning they're about to experience blessing, Right? This is quite a scene. It's something completely different than what we're used to when you go to funerals, right? In this culture, this is quite different. They, they don't have uh, coffins that you go into. It was more like a buggy cart with wheels on it that they laid the body on top of, right? And, and what they did is they would hire, this is, this is weird to us, but it's how they did it. They would hire professional mourners to come in and mourn for the family on the family's behalf to let everybody know what was going on. So we had professional mourners there, and they would take flutes, they would play flutes, and they would hit uh, cymbals and, and tambourine things, and, and, and they would scream and they would wail to mourn. That seems hard for us to grasp, but that's what they did. And we don't know a lot about this, but we know a couple things. Like we don't know how old the widow was. It doesn't say that, right? But we know that she's a widow. In order to be a widow, that means that she's lost her who? Her husband. All right. So she's a widow. We also don't know how old her son is. We don't know how old she is. We don't know if she's 30 and her son was 14. We don't know if she's 23 and her son was 4. We don't know, right? But here's what we do know. We do know that the boy more than likely died the day before this funeral. In this time period, they didn't have the, all the techniques of embalming and, and the fluids that we have today. And so death and, and the funeral and the grieving process happened quickly. And so he more than likely died the day before. And he was prepared and he was on his way to be buried. That's what we know. And for a woman in this time period, she has lost her child. She has lost her world, her livelihood. I mean, this is who she has left. She's lost her livelihood. You say, well, her livelihood, how is that the case? In, in this time period, uh, women were sought more after or seen as, as property. They, they, they weren't seen as equal in this time period. And so a way that a woman survived was that she had either a husband or she had sons who came in and, and would work and supply and, and meet her needs. Family had a whole different dynamic in, the, in this Eastern culture than it does in Western culture. 
Our kids turn 18, we kick them out. I mean, y'all, I know, but that's how the culture works, right? We, where our kids go out, and then we even created words, like, for kids who stay longer in the house than what socially or culturally is acceptable. We have words. We say it's prolonged adolescence, right? Prolonged adolescence, failure to launch, right? Failure to launch. We have that. But in this culture, their idea of family was way tighter. So, you see, when you, when you, uh, when you, found your bride and you got married, you didn't go and move across town or move across country. You know what you did? You would go and you would build on to your father's house another room so that there is room for you and your bride in your father's house. And then you would move the family in together and everybody lived happily ever after. Y'all believe that? It makes sense though. Because what did Jesus tell his disciples? He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you in my father's house. There are many rooms. If it were not so, I would not have told you. It's that whole, uh, it's that whole culture that he's expressing. She loses her livelihood because if she doesn't have a father or a husband, then her son is her sole means of provision. And now for her, her whole life changes. Because now the only way that she's able to provide any income for herself is a couple of ways. One, the straight generosity of somebody else who sees her needs. She's either begging for money, then she's a beggar, or she's selling herself for money. That's the only thing she has left. And it says in verse 13, I want you to see this. Where, are, where is God when we hurt? In verse 13, it says, and the Lord saw her. Did you see that? And the Lord saw her. In her deepest pain and grief, the Lord saw her. In the Gospels, if you read the Gospels, in the Gospels, there's 40 different times that that phrase is used. The Lord saw. 40 different times it tells us that Jesus saw someone. How many of us would think that, well, that's Jesus. He should be seeing everybody, right? But there's a difference between seeing, right, and, and, and more like noticing, it wasn't just that Jesus saw her. It was that Jesus noticed her. Noticed her. He noticed her hurt. He noticed her grief, and it stopped him right in his tracks. And often, when you go back and you look at these moments where Jesus noticed someone or saw someone, they're attached to an emotion. Someone looking for healing, someone looking for money, someone looking for a way out, someone looking for their kids to be uh, 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 demon-free. There's always some kind of emotional response that surrounds that. Jesus stops and he notices. Just because you look doesn't mean you notice, right? Come on, church. Just because you look doesn't mean you notice. How many times has your spouse told you where something is at? Exactly where it's at. And you go and look. Guys, you go and look. And you looked and you looked and you can't find it. Anybody else been there? You look and you look and you can't find it. And she's like, it's right there in front of you. I I don't see it. And she comes up there and she grabs it and she says, it's right in front of you. And your response is, I didn't see it. You know, you can see things without noticing them. There's a big difference in noticing them. Huge difference. 
Went to dinner last night, had, had dinner with my family, and we were laughing and hanging out. And some guys that I went to high school with back in the day, that's what happens when you live in the neighborhood you grew up in. You see people you went to school with. And they all came up to me, and, and they came into the table, and they're talking, hey, man, it's good to see you, man. Let's catch up. And it's awesome. And my wife is asking me, she says, well, who was that? And I said, I'll show you. And I pull up Facebook, and I was like, that was him and his wife. And she said, babe, that's, that, she wasn't there. I'm like, no, no, she was. It was him and his wife and another guy. He said, babe, that wasn't her. And I'm like, no, it was. She said, babe, it's not. And I said, how do you know? And she said, because this lady is black, and that lady was white. <laughs> Did you not see it? I perhaps did not notice. Have you been there? You've done that, amen? Please don't leave me up here by myself, y'all. Come on. Well, you know. You know. So here this woman who is single, she's a widow. She's grieving the loss of her son, and the Lord sees her. And what does Jesus feel in this moment? He feels compassion. Compassion, the, the word compassion in the Greek, I, I want to hit on this because it has a lot of meaning to it. The word compassion is the Greek word splognizama, splognizama. Yeah, it's not really easy for me to say. That's why I had to phonically write it out. Splognizama, it's still not hard, easy to say. It says this. It says to be moved as to one's bowels. To be moved as to one's bowels, not, not like you have gas, different bowels. To be moved as to someone's bowels. You ever have a moment where something so grips you, you can feel it down in the depths of who you are, right, in your bowels? There's no stronger feeling that you have for someone than this. And it says that when Jesus saw her walk, isn't it interesting? He saw her. He noticed her. It didn't say that he noticed all the, 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 the paid mourners. It didn't say he knew, noticed all the ones who were blowing the flutes and hitting the tambourines. It said he noticed her, the grieving mother. And when he noticed her, he felt and grieved with her at the deepest part of who he was. Compassion. There's no stronger word for this. And I can't help but think that maybe even in this moment, this might have even been a prophetic moment for Jesus. Here you have a widowed woman who is grieving for the loss of her son who is dead. And just a short period of time later, we would see that same thing unfold as Mary, the mother of Jesus, would grieve at the foot of the cross as her son was crucified. I can't help but think that these emotions were, were tied in together. When, when we hurt, he hurts. When we hurt, he hurts. It's, it's not one. He's not one who's not acquainted with our nature, but he put on our full nature. He put on our full nature. When we hurt, he hurts. I don't know who needs to hear this today? I know I needed to hear it yesterday, and I needed to hear it today. But God sees you. God sees you. He sees you. He sees the fight to save your marriage. He sees your struggle to pay your bills. He sees you praying for your teenager. He sees you trying to stay sober. He sees your anxiety and your frustrations and your fear, and he cares deeply from the innermost part of who he is. 
He cares about every aspect of your lives. The Bible tells us, the Scripture tells us in Psalms that our God has numbered. He knows the number of hairs that you have on your head. Every last one of them that was there and is there. Amen? Every last one of them. David said that, that God, your thoughts towards me are more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. Y'all listen, I went to a vacation a couple weeks ago, and I spent a lot of time on the beach. I hate sand. I hate it because it goes places it's not supposed to go, and it's gritty, and it's annoying. And have you ever noticed that it doesn't take much sand to, to frustrate you? It doesn't take much, much sand for you to realize it's there. You can have a little bit of sand on the floor and walk on a bare foot, and it just sets your whole day off. Anybody else? Not just me? But you notice it. But think about that. He said, my thoughts towards you are more numerous than the grains of sand on the seashore. Which one? Pick one. You see how small a, a grain of sand is? So he sees you. When nobody else, when we think that nobody else sees us, he, he sees you. And Jesus sees this mother and he hurts with her in his gut. And then he responds in verse 13. And I think his response is so important. In verse 13, is that pink? <laughs> okay. Verse 13, it doesn't matter. It's nice. Okay, it's nice. Verse 13, he says, don't cry. Do you see that? Don't cry. Have you ever had somebody tell you don't do something like that? Like, don't cry. You ever try to tell your spouse in the middle of a heated debate when they know they're wrong and you're right and you say, calm down? How does that work? How well does that work for you? Y'all Y'all there? How well does that work for you? Calm down. You know, Jesus never told us to do something that he didn't then turn around and provide a solution for. That's the difference a lot of times from us and Jesus, I think. We say, don't cry, and we walk away. Jesus says, don't cry, and let me tell you why. There's a difference. See, one says, I don't see you. The other one says, I notice you. So he tells her, he says, don't cry. And he walks over to the, the coffin, and he touched it. Don't cry. He walks over, and he touched it. The bearers stopped. Young man, he says, I tell you to get up. This is a, a huge deal. This is a huge deal. This was a scandalous thing that Jesus did. Because in Jewish law, listen, in Jewish law, they had a law that said this, if you touch anything that's dead, that is unclean, then guess what happens to you? You are now unclean. And there's a society, the societal rejection that comes along. Oh, you've touched somebody, now you're unclean, and there's an isolation thing that takes place. And so Jesus has this grieving mom in this moment, feels compassion in the depths of who he is, and instead of, instead of grieving with her from a distance, he embraced and, and made his way into her grief. And he touches this boy who is dead. It's interesting. Jesus doesn't, just didn't cross the line. He erased the line. 
church people, we're good at making lines. We're good at drawing lines. We draw all sorts of lines. Religious people in general, I should just say that. Religious people in general are really good at drawing a bunch of lines. And in those lines we draw, we say who's in and we say who's out, don't we? And so we draw these lines. And so there's lines that were drawn, and those lines said, hey, we're drawing lines. And this line right here says this. If you touch him, you're unclean. You touch that, you're unclean. And so we're going to stay clean in our nice, clean little box. And Jesus not only stepped over the line, Jesus erased the lines. Jesus did that all the time. We have lines drawn here. And he erases a line. This woman we caught in the act of adultery, what should we do? Moses' law said we should stone her to death. And he says, him who has not sinned cast the first stone. And, and what does he do? He actually knelt down and drew the line. I love that. And it's like almost like he looked in her face and said, see what you did there? Right. He was an expert at erasing, erasing the lines. And I think that we as a church, we would do well to copy Jesus and say when religion sets up a line to exclude people and keep people out, we just make our way over and we just mess it up. Just erase it. Erase it. Distorted religion draws lines to keep people out. And at the same time that we draw lines to keep people out, we keep the very God, we keep the very people who need God away from God. You see, because if I am drawing lines and I'm telling you this is the way God is, are you going to want to have anything to really do with that God? How many of us get churched out of church because of that? How many of us have some church PTSD from that? I told you, my great-grandma, God bless her soul, she's with Jesus right now. But I told you before, she told me one time when I was seven, that and when the lightning cracked, that if I showed fear in that moment, that God would be angry with me. She drew a line. And that made me terrified of the very one who could actually bring calm and peace to my soul. We don't, I love this, Pastor Craig Rochelle, pastor of a church called Life Church, and he, he said this, this quote is so good. He said, we don't cross, or we don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. I love that. We don't draw lines to keep people out. We cross lines to bring people in. You see, Jesus touches the boy, and the crowd gasps. I mean, that's what you can imagine. There's like all these religious people there, and you touched it. Oh, you're unclean. They gasped, but there was two types of gasps that happened in that moment. It was the gasp of the religious people and the gasp of the person who just got healed as he breathed in the breath of life once again. It took one touch for the boy's life to be restored, and it takes one touch for hope to be restored in our lives. One touch to give you a future back. One touch. One touch. You see, her son was her hope. He was her future, and he was her way and means of provision. And I love this, just as the resurrection of Mary's son is our hope, our future, and our provision. Jesus sees, and he cares, and he touches. Just one touch. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Y'all don't have that one either. First Peter chapter 5. Verse 7 says, give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares for you. 
Give all your worries and your cares to God, for he cares for you. You see, God says this. He says, don't cry because I'm with you in this moment. Don't fear because I'm with you. Don't allow these things to overtake you. I am present with you. I am your help in every circumstance. I am your ever-present help. And from the depth of his gut, he cares for you and wants to touch you and your marriage and your finances and your mind and your heart. That's where he's at. That he's not obsessed with pointing out everything that you got wrong in your life right now. Can, can I tell you that? We, that's what religion's done. See, religion says get clean, then come to church. If you quit doing this and come to church, then God will do that. That's called if and then. And God doesn't work by if and then. God's love is not conditional on an if and then. If you do this, then I'll love you. There is no if and then with God. God says, I love you before you ever thought about me. From the very beginning until the very end and all the messiness that you deal with in between, I'm there. I'm loving you. I'm going to love you through it. Amen. Amen. We draw the box of performance. And Jesus erased it with his performance. Man, he's present with you. I don't know what it is that you're dealing with. For a lot of us right now, a lot of us, man, we look so good on the outside. We do. We look so good on the outside. We know how to have it and make it look all put together. We know how to smile real big. We know how to say all the right things. I'm blessed. I'm good. Praise the Lord Jesus. Amen. Hallelujah. All that stuff. But deep down on the inside, man, you're a wreck. And I know because I've been there. Not just before I became a pastor, while pastoring. Lots of time while pastoring. And he's present. Those areas in your lives he wants to touch, will you just allow it? Would you open your heart and allow him to move in your heart? To give you the comfort that you need, the peace that you need, the grace that you need, the love that you need. You see, as we receive those things, we are then able to give out those things. As we receive forgiveness, we reciprocate forgiveness. As we receive love, we reciprocate love. As we receive peace, we walk in peace. Would you open your hearts for that today? Can I pray for you right now? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes right where you're at? If you're watching online, I'm going to pray for you as well right now. Father, we thank you, God, for your goodness. And, Father, I pray for every single person right now, Lord, who is in this room right now, Lord, who is watching online, or, Lord, who will listen later on uh, through the podcast. Father, I just pray right now for them as whatever it is that they're dealing with in this moment, Lord, that they would right now encounter and experience you in an incredibly tangible way, a real way. Father, that the, 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 the fear or the anxiety that is trying to overwhelm them, God, would begin to dissipate, Father, as they feel your presence in their lives. Father, I pray for wisdom. I pray for wisdom and discernment for every person dealing with that. Lord, that you would just give them wisdom and discernment on the next step to take. 
on the next move to make, on the next thing to say. You would give them wisdom and discernment. Father, I thank you for comforting us, God, for mourning with us who mourn, God, for rejoicing with us who rejoice, Father. We celebrate you. We thank you. We love you. In Jesus' name, we pray.